Oh, good morning, everyone. Yeah, next week, you'll be really rested, and that good morning will be even more alert. Uh, as you if, you, if you didn't catch it, set your clocks back one hour, not 30 minutes, one hour, okay? I want, I want you here uh, on time. Although, the worship team would probably love for you to forget to set your clocks back and show up early, because then they could just recruit you, and you'll end up uh, having to be on stage and, and help out. Um, before I get going, I, I want to uh, give some kudos uh, where they uh, belong because uh, to get to this place has been a, a big deal, a big process. Um, and so the first people I just need to thank is uh, our, our Riverwood partners. Um, all the way back last December, we were approached about leasing this building. Uh, elders and Sunday team looked at it. We prayed about it. We brought it before our partners. So they came and they looked at it. And all the way back in February, we decided that, yes, we're going to do this. Uh, and so a number of you guys were here tearing down walls. If you remember, there was, you know, kind of a conference room and some offices here. There was a weird configuration out there. Like, we tore out a lot in this place and then rebuilt walls. And, and many of you came in here and helped paint and helped clean. And, I mean, you guys have done so much. And also, this was a big financial step for us. And, and so many of you have just been so incredibly generous. And so this is our building. And so I just want to say thank you. The kudos really go to you guys because we've just seen the church come together and be a part of this. We did not know a pandemic would hit and delay all this. We had no idea that the pandemic would cost, you know, cause the, the cost of materials to just skyrocket like crazy. And yet you guys have just jumped in and been a part of this. And so thank you very, very much. I also just need to highlight the uh, Sunday team. They have been phenomenal. They have just had incredible attitudes through this whole thing. They've been excited to get here. Uh, they, they have been so much fun to work with. Uh, it, it's been really, really great to, to see them and, and to see them here and serving so hard to make this place uh, ready for us. Um, and then I also want to highlight uh, Tim and Sarah Corcoran. Uh, Sarah's with us today. Uh, uh, Tim is not, but without them, we would not be in this place. Uh, Tim has provided phenomenal leadership. Uh, I'm just so thankful that he's taken all of his knowledge and expertise in construction and applied it to this place, and, and he's helped this be what it is. Uh, without Tim, I don't think we enjoy it at the level that we're, we're at. Um, and so if you see Tim, you need to give him huge thanks and huge kudos. I know he doesn't look for it and want it, but he deserves it. Uh, and, and then Sarah has just, you know, oversaw all of the painting. Uh, in fact, Jake and I were here Thursday night uh, doing some stuff, and all of a sudden Sarah shows up. She's going around touching up some paint spots. Uh, just, you know, they have been so helpful. So we're just incredibly grateful for them. And then also, I just want to highlight also uh, Randy put in so much time uh, to get this place ready. I know Lori drug him here probably a few times, um, but honestly, uh, he was here with me Wednesday night. It was We were running uh, cables for networking for the internet. He was here Thursday night with Jake and I helping get sound set up. He came again Friday. He was here for a, a long portion of yesterday. I mean, the poor guy's had to see me five days now in a row. Uh, so you probably need to pray for Randy. He's probably a little sick of Aaron. Uh, but he has been absolutely uh, amazing as well and, and just served with an incredible attitude. And uh, so, so much of this getting ready for today is because of, of Randy. In fact, when uh, Randy and I were here Wednesday night, his brother Kurt came to help us run some of the cabling to, to get our wireless access ports, uh, access points in place. And uh, we're standing out in the lobby just having a, a talk and getting ready to, to get going. So I start taking off my jacket and I start looking around because I know that the coat rack was somewhere. You guys have to realize that like even as far as like yesterday afternoon, this place was still an absolute disaster. Uh, and so Wednesday was even worse. And so there's tons of stuff out there. There's tons of stuff in here. And so I'm looking around for the coat rack and Randy sees me searching and he says, Aaron, what are you looking for? I said, the, the coat rack, I know I saw it somewhere. <laughs> and Randy and Kurt looked at me and they're like, this coat rack? 
like the one that I'm standing right next to, like it was right in front of me. Uh, it, it, was, it was a little bit embarrassing, but it, it was pretty funny too. But have you ever had that moment where the thing you're looking for is actually right there in front of you? I, I don't know how many of you have ever made this mistake, but you're actually holding your phone in your hand and suddenly you have this panic moment. Like, wait, where's, where's my phone? You're looking everywhere for it. And, and it's right there. Anyone? No, yeah, me, me neither. No, no, I've never, never done that. Uh, but it, it's kind of like that idiom. You're missing the forest for the trees. Like the forest is right in front of you, but yet you, you can't see it because there's all these trees in the way. The very thing you're looking for, it's right there, but you're missing it. Today in Mark 7, we're going to see the Pharisees basically miss the forest for the trees. I mean, first of all, the king of the kingdom of God is going to be standing right in front of them, and they're going to they're miss him. But second, we're going to see how they have, in a sense, the keys to a relationship with God right there in their hand, and yet they're going to be almost like they're continuing to look for the key. And they're going to totally miss how to have a relationship with God. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to think that it's doing all these outward works that's going to bring that inward change and help them have this relationship with God. And today we're going to see Jesus tell, show them, no, it's not your outward works. It's actually you need an inward transformation. So the story is in Mark chapter 7. So if you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Mark uh, 7. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us here in person or you're a first-time guest with us online, Every single week, we open up the scriptures. And so next time you come, if you don't have a Bible with you today, don't worry about it. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen. But uh, I, I highly encourage you, bring a Bible with you next time. Uh, we open this up every week. Right now, we're in a series in, in Mark. Uh, we're going to be taking a break here from Mark for a, a few weeks. But we'll be coming back to Mark. We'll be back in it in 2021. Um, but I've really been enjoying the book of Mark, and I, I hope you have been too. I've just been seeing just a lot about Jesus, and it's just really been uh, like affirming to my faith. So I highly encourage you, get a Bible into your hands. Because what we want is as you practice opening the Bible here on Sunday mornings, I, we think it just makes it a little bit easier to open it on Monday and Tuesday and every day. So if you don't have a Bible, download one to your phone. If uh, you want a paper copy, just let us know. Uh, we'll drop one off at your house. We'll mail one to you. We've got some high-quality paper Bibles. Normally, we have a table out with Bibles on them, but during the pandemic, we've, we've taken those out, uh, away. So we'll, we'll get one to you so that you can have a Bible to use on an everyday basis. As we get ready to read in Mark 7, uh, I just want to open us in, in prayer so that uh, God is the one who's going to be teaching us today. So let's, let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, uh, we are excited to be in this new space. Uh, but as we uh, talked about last week, it, it really does not matter exactly where we meet because you are still God. You are still good. Jesus still died on a cross. He rose again from the dead. And this gospel can be preached anywhere, whether it's in a brand new space like this, whether it's at, back on the fairgrounds, whether it's outside, whether it's in a bar, wherever uh, we are, we can still proclaim this awesome goodness of Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to see the awesome goodness of Jesus yet again. So wherever people are at spiritually, whether someone is, is joining us online and they've never really uh, considered the gospel, whether someone is here and they've been following you for like 40 years, no matter where we're at in our spiritual journey, God, would you teach us today? I, I feel like it's impossible for me as one individual person to, to, to meet the needs of, of where everyone is at because we're in, all in such a different place. And God, I believe that you and your infinite love and infinite wisdom can speak through your Holy Spirit to every single heart that's here. So no matter what the age of the person, no matter what their spiritual experience, would you open our hearts and ears to what you need to say to us today? Will you be our teacher through Mark 7? We ask for this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be doing uh, verses uh, 1 through 23 today, about half of uh, Mark 7, but we're going to do it in two blocks. So let's start with verses 1 through 13. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, that's gathered to Jesus, 
with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, These, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If a man tells his father or his mother, well, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many other such things you do. Now, last week we uh, saw Jesus. By the way, I don't know what's going on with my voice. I know I sound like a, I'm Kermit or something. Uh uh, my kids probably will love it this week as the voice probably goes, goes completely. Uh, so you'll have to just suffer for the next uh, few minutes. Um, last week, we saw Jesus get out of a boat with his disciples uh, at the Sea of Galilee in this region known as Gennesaret. We, we saw that Gennesaret was this agricultural area, but there was a, uh, it was quite well populated. And so when Jesus got out, some people recognized him and began running around saying, hey, you guys, come. Jesus is here, the famous Jesus, come. So it's possible that as those people ran about calling people to come and meet Jesus and hear from him and maybe be healed, that some of the people that overheard this were these Pharisees in the local region. And so somehow maybe they've sent word down to Jerusalem like he's here. And so some of these scribes have come up from Jerusalem to, to gather and, and listen to him. But it's, it's also possible that Jesus has returned back to Capernaum from Gennesaret. Capernaum was kind of like his home base. And, and so because he's at home base, the Pharisees figure out this is kind of where he does his ministry from. So they know that's where the, to gather so that they can, like, in a sense, interview him and, and check him out. We don't know exactly where he's at, but we do know that he's caused enough ruffle that people from Jerusalem, some of these Pharisee, Pharisaical leaders, are now coming all the way to investigate him. And they're not there to learn from him. Like, oh, teach us more. I mean, they're scribes. They love the word of God. They, they, they write it out to create copies so that it can go about. They're passionate about God's word. But they're not there to try to learn from him of how can we understand God's word better. They're there to make sure he falls in line with God's word as they interpret it. Because you see, we've already seen a couple of conflicts between some of the Jewish leaders and Jesus. And, and so they're a little uncomfortable with this guy. So they're there to see, is he a heretic? And if so, do we need to do something about it? So as they're there analyzing Jesus, they notice in verse 2, his disciples not washing their hands. And so that's why they ask him in verse 5, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands. You see, these guys would uh, often do these washings. It, it almost sounds like they're like a concerned mom. Like, Jesus, aren't you worried about your guys getting sick? You know, like, they, they need to scrub for 20 seconds, sing Jesus loves me twice through, you know, like, get rid of the coronavirus, you know. 
But that's not what's going on at all. These guys are not concerned about hygiene. Because you see, in verse 3, where it says that they wash their hands, the Greek is actually that they wash their hands with fists. Meaning, they would take their hands, and they would cup them so it looked like a fist, but their hands are open. And they would just dribble a little bit of water on them, shake it off, and they were done. That was their washing. So we're not killing any germs here in the process. This is all about ceremony. But they took this ceremony so seriously that when they witnessed some of Jesus' disciples not going through this little ceremony, they were offended. They saw this as sin. They, they, they just couldn't believe it. They were shocked. So they asked Jesus, why do you allow this? Because if Jesus is saying, ah, it's no big deal, now they know he's a heretic. But if Jesus goes, yeah, you know, I, I don't really like it. I'm a little uncomfortable with it. I kind of wish they would. Okay, maybe, maybe Jesus is okay. And so they're asking him about it. But do you notice his response? Verses six and seven. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29, 13, and uses it like a biblical bullwhip. Just snaps it at him and, and, and gets after him. Like, you guys are missing it. Why, why is Jesus so upset? I mean, because we're just talking about a little bit of water. Why, why is he really getting after them? Because there's nowhere in the scriptures that tells them that they have to wash in this manner. These Pharisees would claim to uphold the Mosaic law. In the Mosaic law, there are 613 laws. Some of these laws were civic laws, telling them kind of how to operate as a society. Some of them were clothing laws. Some were about food. Some were about sexual ethics. Some of them were even about farming. There were all sorts of laws, but there was nothing there about you have to wash with these fists and pour it over and dip your, your dishes. There was none of that. All of that had been added. It was extra biblical. It was these extra rules. But the problem was they took their extra rules and put it on par with God's rules, almost superseding it and coming over it. That's why we see in verses 9 through 13, Jesus basically gets after them saying, God's word says to honor your father and mother. And yet you guys say, well, I have a gift here. I have some finances. I could use it to help take care of my elderly parents, but I'm going to actually give it to God. And so therefore they're saying, when you do that, oh, God is pleased. He's happy and thrilled. Even though you just ignored, honor your father and mother. And so Jesus gets after him. Now, because many of you would consider yourself part of Team Jesus, you probably want to get after these guys too, shaking your heads like, how could they? But if you look at church history, us Christians, we're really good at doing these exact same things. Throughout, throughout history, there have been different like, Christian church uh, um, cultures that have adopted extra rules to help prove their godliness. I had one friend who uh, pastored a church that really valued their uh, pastor being in a full uh, three-piece suit. And so he, every Sunday, dress shirt, the tie, the coat. I mean, he was dressed to the hill. He'd pound the pulpit, and they loved it. Well, they weren't a very large church. They, they couldn't pay him a ton of money. And, and so he, he was kind of on the poorer side. And so one day, he happened to be at the mall at JCPenney. This shows you this is a long time ago. Uh, I don't think malls exist anymore. But he happens to be at JCPenney. And, and he sees some dress shirts on clearance. I think they were like $3 or $6, like something, something really, really cheap. And he was desperate for some, some new dress shirts. And so he picked up two, 
and, and was so excited, he wore one of them that next Sunday. So he puts on his dress shirt, he puts on his tie, he gets his coat, he gets up there and he preaches his heart out. And afterwards, one of the old time members of the church pulls him aside and they go, Pastor, are you going liberal? And in that moment, he discovered that white dress shirts is a sign of purity and godliness, but light blue was an abomination. Some churches have created these extra rules to show your godliness. But there are other churches that they don't care about what you're wearing, obviously. It's going to be like, well, what about piercings and tattoos? Or, oh, no, no, we're going to create some rules about drinking. Oh, no, we're, we're going to create some rules about playing cards or, or, or gambling. We're, we're going to create these rules to show your godliness when it comes to watching movies. If you go into the Apostle Paul's letters, you see that one of the things they were wrestling with, the, the way to show your holiness, these extra rules, was circumcision. In our day and age, I would say that actually, you guys are probably going to get mad at me for saying this, I would say it's voting. I, I, honestly, in the last couple of weeks, I have heard people say, if you claim to be a Christian, you cannot vote for Biden. And at the exact same time, I've heard other people say, if you claim to be a Christian, you cannot vote for Trump. And so clearly, who I vote for assesses my, rule, my role and status before God in the eyes of some people. We Christians, we are just as good as these Pharisees as creating these extra rules to prove our godliness. Which is why we need to ask ourselves, why do we do this? Why do we create these extra rules? Well, number one, I, I think we do it because many of these extra rules actually come from a good place. We often want to honor God. We want to do what's right. We want to have a close relationship with him. So we create these extra rules in order to help achieve it. And I don't think they're always wrong. Any of you ever fasted? Maybe fasted from food, fasted from social media, fasted from like entertainment? Yeah, a few hands went up. Some of you are, you're, no, I'm not gonna participate. Or maybe you just haven't fasted from anything. But if you've ever fasted from something, you have set a rule. There's probably nothing in the scriptures that says you have to set aside the newspaper. By the way, this used to be one of my rules. When I lived in Denver, Colorado, we got the newspaper. It was dirt cheap. I mean, it was cheaper than water. So we got the newspaper. And I, every morning, I would pour through that newspaper. I'd read almost everything. It'd take me like an hour. And then I would be like, oh, I don't, I don't have time to read the Bible anymore. I've delayed all my work. I need to get to work. So I, I would go to work, and I wouldn't spend time in the scriptures. And so I had to create a little rule for myself that I couldn't read the newspaper until I read my Bible. Now, some people would say, well, that wouldn't work for me because I just kind of skimmed through the Bible really, really fast so that I could get to what I wanted. But it, it, it worked for me. Once I was in the scriptures, I, I valued the time there. And so I had to create that little rule to help myself. And I think it came from a good place because I desire to be with God. When you say, I'm going to fast from something, you're saying, I'm going to set aside food or social media or whatever for a time to remind myself that my true joy is found in Jesus. And so you set these things aside so that you can get closer to God. It comes from a good place. Sometimes these, these good rules end up getting twisted. And, and what happens then is, is it becomes more about the rule than it is about the relationship with God, which is what I think was happening right here with these Pharisees. Many of their rules, these, these ceremonial washings, they, they were coming from a good place. They wanted to come before God pure. But what was happening is it had twisted and it became all about the rule than it did about God himself. And as we even see Jesus accuse them, their, their man-made rules actually began to supersede and cover over God's rules. The second reason I think that we so often create these rules for ourselves is because deep down, when we're really honest, we know that we are a mess. I mean, we may look at other people 
see what their social media posts are. We have conversations with them. They, they look like they've got it all together. Things are going great for them, but we see our thoughts. We know what's going on with us. We saw the moment that we gave into temptation and weakness. And so we know that deep down we're a mess. And so to try to deal with this mess, sometimes we create these extra rules just so we can feel a little cleaner, a little more pure, maybe a little more loved, a little more accepted by God. So we create the rule. Could be about clothes, could be about food, could be about drinking, could be about anything. But we do it so that we somehow can deal with the mess. I think that's what the Pharisees were doing too. They created these washing rules so that they just could feel like I'm I'm accomplishing something. God will be happy with me because he sees what I am doing. But if the Mosaic law, all 613 rules, had accomplished anything, it was to show us that we couldn't save ourselves. Because even if you managed to maintain all 613 laws as best you could, you couldn't do it all the time. The outward works will not bring the inward change that so many of us need and desire. When we look at our lives, we see we're a mess. And we know, I've got to do something. I need something. But that's why Jesus, in in verses 14 through 23, starts to point out, the outward works will not help you. Open up there. uh, Start in verse 14. And he, Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Well, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Hey, kids, I'm really sorry that we didn't have a Kids Creek this week, but uh, even if Bridget had been here, I doubt she would get to talk to you about toilets. Because basically that's what Jesus is talking about here. That, that the food that the Jews would eat, it couldn't make them unclean. Because it goes in the mouth, through the stomach, and is expelled into the toilet. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you have to, to realize that for a couple millennia, there have been rules in place from God to the Jewish people of this is what you need to eat and not eat. But now suddenly Jesus, and by the way, Mark of all the gospel writers has the least amount of parentheses. Like if you go into Matthew, Luke, John, you'll notice they'll put little parentheses in here. In this passage, Mark's given us two. That, which means, take note, you need to listen. The first set he gave us was all about the washings because he, he knew he had a lot of readers who were either Greek or Roman and they wouldn't be familiar with some of the Jewish customs. So he gives a little parenthetical statement. But suddenly here, he, he gives us another parenthetical statement. And all he says is, but thus saying, Jesus made all foods clean. Like, whoa, wait, wait, what? Just like that? Jesus takes a millennia of all these food rules and just goes, oh, you know what, <laughs> scratch that. Yeah, you know, God, the Father, and I, when we kind of created uh, these mosaic, this mosaic covenant, we kind of got that one wrong. Sorry about that. No, everything's good now. How about it? 
No, that is not what is taking place here. What, what is Jesus doing and why is he saying this? Well, number one, remember, what have we been seeing through the book of Mark if you've been tracking with this, this series? Over and over and over, we've been seeing Jesus is God. He is the king to the kingdom of God. So as the king, he has the right to declare, this is good. But then he could go, you know what? This served its time. Now it's time for something else. He has that right and authority. But also, I think something else is going on here. I think Jesus is now pointing out the time for that is over. It's time for something new. Uh, some of you know that recently my youngest son turned 14 back in August. But because of the pandemic, he couldn't immediately go down and get his driver's permit, which here in Iowa, if you're uh, from out of state, uh, in Iowa, you can get your driver's permit at 14. Well, he turns 14, but on his 14th birthday is when he's allowed to apply to, to uh, take the test. Well, I think it was, what, three weeks later, he finally could take the test. So he takes it first time, nails it, gets it. So you think, okay, now we can like maybe download a, a, a thing, you know, permit until we go in. No, we had to set another date, which was what, another three weeks out, four weeks out. So like the poor kid has to wait two months to get his driver's permit. So we've only been dr out driving, I, what, twice, maybe three times, two times. All right, so he hasn't been on the road a lot. But my question is, why did he have to wait until August 5th, his birthday, to apply? Why, why not August 4th? Or, or why not August 3rd? Why, why not a week before? And since we're asking this question, why does he have to wait till age 14 to begin to learn how to drive? Why not age 13? Why not 12? I mean, there's farm kids who are learning how to drive their tractors at 12, some of them at 10. I mean, why not just make it easy, state of Iowa? Why not at birth, they're given their birth certificate, their social security card, and then, uh, uh, yeah, a social security number, and then given their driver's permit? Okay, yeah, you're laughing at me going, uh, yeah, Aaron, uh, you're probably not all there. Because we determine that it's not until 14 that they're ready for this. So no driving until 14. But then at 14, you have to take at least the next two years to have a parent in the seat with you, helping teach you how to drive. It isn't until 16 that you're allowed to drive alone. And then you can't vote until you're 18, and you can't buy alcohol until you're 21. We put these things in place because we say, it isn't until here that you're ready. God instituted these laws for the people to protect them because they weren't ready to just go and eat anything. Because first of all, if they just had come out of Egypt, getting into the promised land, and they'd eat anything and everything, it's very possible they would have eaten something unhealthy. But I think there was a bigger, more concerning thing to God. And that is, there were all these people groups, these other religions that were in the area. And if there had been no rules on food, they would have seen what the other people ate and entered into eating them, and by doing so, would slowly begin to adopt their customs and their religions. So actually, by putting together these food regulations, God is actually protecting the people, and he's telling, you are mine. And part of what's going to identify this is you're not going to eat these things. But what happened was over time, it became all about the regulations and not about the relationship. And so Jesus is now saying, guys, all this time, it's not the food that makes you clean or unclean. Oh, only God does that. You did these things to identify and belong to him. But because it's now been all about the regulations, I tell you what, don't worry about the regulations. Eat whatever you want. Because what God wants is not your hollow obedience. What he wants is your heart. And that's why Jesus really gets after them. Because you see what these Pharisees were doing, whether it's the washings, the food regulations, whatever it was, is they're doing all these outside works trying to bring that inner change. And Jesus is standing there going, guys, the outward works don't work. They're not going to do what you know needs to be done inside. 
You need an inward change. Because the the uncleanness, it comes out of your envy, out of your pride, out of your sexual immorality, out of your theft, out of your murder. comes out of all these things. So if you're going to see the change, it's not going to come by what you wear. It's not going to come by what you eat. It's not going to come by what holidays you observe. It's going to come by an inward transformation. How do you get that transformation? Some of you, I know here in person or watching online, you you already have a good idea. But I I, want to show this to you in a slightly different way. I want to actually take you to the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible still open, navigate over to Zechariah chapter 3. It's just about four books before the book of Mark. So just head to the left. If you've got a paper Bible, scroll uh, down, get, get over to Zechariah 3. As you uh, turn to Zechariah 3, I, I need to kind of set the stage so you can appreciate what we're about to see. On the uh, Day of Atonement, the Jewish high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies to sacrifice animals for the, for the sins of the people. But it was quite a process to get there. Uh, a week before the Day of Atonement, the high priest who was selected to go in would actually go into seclusion for a whole entire week. The idea was that way he couldn't accidentally be made unclean by someone else. He wouldn't accidentally eat the wrong kind of food. Like it was, it was trying to protect him, to prepare him for walking into the presence of God. Then the night before, he would spend the entire night awake praying and reading scripture, fasting, preparing himself for what he was about to do. Then the morning of the Day of Atonement, he would take a bath from head to toe and put on brand new white linen garments. Then he would walk into the Holy of Holies, taking in with him an animal, and he would sacrifice that animal. However, that animal was not sacrificed for the sins of the people. That first animal was sacrificed for his sin. He sacrifices this animal now there's blood on his garments around the place. And so he comes back out, takes off the clothes, takes another bath, puts on another set of white linen garments, and walks in with another animal. But that animal was not for the sins of the people. That animal was for all the priests. Because the priests represented the link between God and the people. And so if the priests themselves were sinful, then the, the, the link, in a sense, is broken. And so he sacrifices the animal so that he could, that could be restored. And then he comes back out, takes another bath. So three baths. How would you like that, kids? You probably complained about one. He had to do three baths, put on another set of white linen garments, and walk back into the Holy of Holies, where this time he would finally sacrifice an animal on behalf of the Israelite people. Can you imagine all that work? But they did all that work in order to come before God and bring these things. That's when we come to Zechariah 3. Start in verse 1. Then he, God, showed me, Zechariah the prophet, Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. Now, I'm sure that Zechariah suddenly would have his jaw drop. He's looking and would think, how in the world? Because he would know that Joshua would have taken three baths, put on three sets of clean clothes, and yet here he is standing in front of God, filthy? And any of you know who Mark Rober is? 
He's a, a YouTube guy. He used to be a NASA engineer, created some YouTube uh, videos on the side, and it ended up, his videos became so popular that they actually, he actually began just to go full-time. So can you imagine, you leave NASA to become a YouTuber, and you're far more successful as a YouTuber. Maybe that's a little messed up in our world. But anyway, so Mark creates these videos. That we hi I highly recommend them. My wife shows them in her classroom at a school because the kids love them. My, my kids love them. Uh, look up Mark Rober, R-O-B-E-R, -E and you can enjoy his videos. Right as uh, the pandemic was, you know, uh, kind of hitting our world, but before America in March really shut down, he decided he'd put together a video just explaining kind of how germs can, can spread. And to illustrate it, he grabbed this powder that was invisible on site, but you could see it under black light. And he took the powder and he just brushed it onto the hands of a school teacher and then allowed her to shake hands with just three students. All right, the, re the rest of the students, she just, you know, kind of greeted, hi, hi. And, but the kids come into the classroom and then he just videoed. And you see the kids doing their normal uh, school routine, you know, they, I think they were like first graders, second graders. You know, so there's some academic stuff going on, a little bit of play, they're, they're interacting. And then after a couple of hours, he just went around with a black light. It, on the surface, everything looked fine. Everything looked clean. But as he took the UV light, suddenly the teacher's filthy. Her desk is filthy. The kids are filthy. Their desks are filthy. Like the whole place is covered in this invisible powder. I think when God lets Zechariah have this see this, uh, this image, he's basically turning out the normal lights that Zechariah would see with. And he's letting Zechariah see with his lights. That Zechariah would look at someone like Joshua, the high priest who's washed three times, got clean white linen garments. If anyone is clean, it's this guy. And it's like God flips out the lights that the humans see with and flips on the God light and lets him see Joshua the way God sees him. And Joshua is filthy. Now, what do you think God would do? To have someone who's supposedly the high priest, supposedly clean, walk in and he's filthy, just as dirty as dirty can be. Does he kick him out? Does he just ignore him? Like, oh, I can't talk to someone like that. Does he kill him? Like, how dare you walk into my presence like that? <laughs> Let's see what God does. Verse four. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from Joshua. And to Joshua, the angel said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Throughout the Old Testament, there is this angel of the Lord who will appear. Uh, he appears to, to Abraham, uh, appears to some other people. There are some scholars who believe that those appearances of the angel of the Lord are actually Jesus himself. It's what's called a theophany, an, an appearing of God the Son before the incarnation where Jesus comes at, at Christmas. And, and so Jesus is this angel of the Lord, some scholars believe. And I, I happen to agree with them. I, I think that in this vision... Jesus is standing there because Jesus says to him, I have taken your iniquity. Your iniquity, kids, that is your sin. And Jesus is saying, I've taken your sin from you. But did you notice there's another character in the story? There's this guy, Satan. Uh, the word Satan simply means the accuser. And that's what Satan's doing. He's standing there accusing Joshua. He's basically playing Captain Obvious. Like, God, you see this guy? He's filthy. He's sinful. He doesn't belong in your presence. You need to kill him. You need to kick him out. He's not worthy of being here. And it's almost like Jesus just goes, shush, shush. Looks at, at Joshua and says, hey, 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 guys, um, get this guy some clean clothes. And he takes the filthy garments off of Joshua. And then they put on these clean, white, pure vestments. Guys, this is the gospel. 
All of us are sinners. All of us need God. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. We need the help. But too often we're like Joshua, where we go about doing these extra rules. We go and somehow take these like spiritual baths. We, we, we try to dress ourselves up in these clean white garments. We, we try to fool ourselves that if I eat the right thing, if I wear the right thing, if I read the Bible enough times, if I go to church the right way, if I do the right things, God will be more pleased. He'll be okay with me. And yet, when we walk into God's presence, trying to do the outward things to change us inwardly, God sees the insides and he knows, you're filthy, you're dirty. But rather than kicking us out, rather than thumbing us down and killing us, instead, Jesus says, I will take it from you. It's why 1 Corinthians 5, 21 says that he who was without sin, meaning Jesus who came to the earth, did not sin ever, became sin for us. Because what happened is through the cross, Jesus said, I'll take your filthy garments and put them on myself and I will take my holy righteous robes and I will put them on you. So that when you then walk into the presence of God, God sees the clothing of Christ. He sees the purity and knows that you have been washed, you've been made clean and you now belong there. If you've been trying so hard to like make yourself good, better, and by all means, please help the little old lady across the street. Right? Please be a nice person at work. Right? Kids, obey your parents at home. Like I, I want these type of citizens in our world. But if you're doing those outward works, thinking that this is somehow going to impress God, Jesus is letting us know here in Mark 7, your outward works are not gonna bring that inward change. If that's what you're trusting in, you're walking in front of God dirty. The only way you're going to have the inward change is through the gospel. It's allowing Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb. Be what covers you, what cleanses you, and what identifies you. Which means if you're here today, again, whether in person or online, and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never allowed him to take your filthy rags from you and put his clean vestments on you, then you need to give your life to him. I just want you to know, this is why we started Riverwood Church. We started it for you. We, we did not start it so we could just go get a building. We did not start it so we could just collect some really nice people, even though we have. We did it so that you could meet Jesus. Because we know that what this world needs is people to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And yet, we are filthy and dirty in our own power. And so it means we have to confess our sin. We have to bow before God. And say, Jesus, you went to a cross for me, so I now give my life to you. Because you took my filthy rags from me, and you put your clean, pure vestments upon me. So if you've never done that before, most people mark a moment like that with prayer. It's in a moment of prayer, they say, God, I confess my sin to you. And, and, and I accept the work of Jesus on my behalf. But I also realize that some of the people I'm talking to, you, you, you would say you're a follower of Jesus. You've been following Jesus for a long time. But you're saying, I, I, I realize now that I have been trusting in my good works. I have not been staying surrendered to God. I've been thinking that if I do all these things and I'm really, really good, that, that God must be really happy. And now today you see that you've been acting like a Pharisee. It, it, you know what? It, it's okay to go through those little ceremonies as long as it's drawing your heart to God. But if today you're realizing I've been trusting in the ceremonies, I've been trusting in my works rather than trusting in the shed blood of Jesus, then today's your moment to get it right with God. One of the ways we can do that is through communion. Uh, here at, at our, in our new facility, the ushers are gonna be coming around. 
Um, if, if you're a first-time guest with us, uh, we celebrate communion almost every single week uh, because this just draws us to the cross. Because when we take that bread, we realize that's Jesus' body which was broken for us. And when we take the cup, that's his blood that was shed for us. And by taking that, we're saying, his story is my story. In other words, he took my filthiness and gave me his purity and his righteousness. If you're at home, we invite you to get your elements if you haven't already. And, and during this next song, uh, if, if you're here in person, just hold out your hands. The usher's going to come by. And then when you are ready, when you've spent some time talking and praying, you may take those elements. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it, it's okay to not take these elements. There's no pressure. We don't want you going through a hollow act and not really worship God. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we want you to, to come to him. Use this right now as a time of confession, a time of surrender, a time of reminding us that Jesus went to the cross to take our filthy garments and to give us his purity. Let us do this now in remembrance of him.